0: Thank mm-hmm. you.
1: Professor Penn podcast. David Penn here. Uh, a musical interlude to start today's episode. It's going to be very germane to what we're talking about. Lie to me. Thanking Free People Radio for giving us this platform. Tireget.com. T I R E G E T.com. 14,000 different kinds of tires in stock. All your tire needs. Get the tires you need and fund the movement, a win-win. Precinctstrategy.com. Go there. Check it out. It's a tutorial on everything you need to get off the bench and get in the game of politics. Take your seat at the table. Be a player in the game. Brooke Benton. It's a name most people don't know, but that's a very appropriate way to start our day. Lie to me. Lie, 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 lie to me because I don't want to know what the truth is. It's kind of the theme for today. It's a little bit funny, actually, if you think about it. Uh, you know, he's talking about our love relationship going wrong. He's dependent on somebody to love him. He doesn't want to know the truth. A little bit like we the people depend on our government. Kind of like they're taking care of us and we don't want the truth. We want them to continue to lie to us so we can go about our business and not get involved, right? It's just, it's all good. And of course, our politicians, ho ho, they're going to show right up and take advantage of that. They have no conscience about it. At least in some of these love relationships, people eventually get down to the truth. This crew, we're never getting to the truth unless we, the people, demand it of our politicians. Tell us the truth, please, because. So we have a a founding document that talks about truths that are self-evident, which is kind of the opposite. Not kind of. It is the polar opposite of lying politicians. Our whole enterprise is based on truths that we hold self-evident. Self-evident, self-governing. We discover these truths for ourselves and we live our lives by them. But hey, when we get lazy when life is good, we let it go. We turn our governance over to our elected representatives. And that's what we're gonna be talking about today. What have our elected representatives done to Done to us. What have we allowed them to do to us? And what can we do in the future to get a better shake out of this deal as American citizens? Because if we don't demand it, (laughs) they don't care. As I said, they're a little bit divorced from where they came from. They've kind of forgotten their roots. And uh, they've just uh, become um, part of the show business machine. And they don't want to give up their job in show business. So if we're going to hold these people accountable, that's going to require us to know exactly what's going on. So today, it's a little bit of an unusual day. And this really speaks to the political process. Because the Professor Penn Podcast is an overtly political transmission. It's here to work with you. By the way, good, good day to you. I hope you're doing well. You can tell I'm a little wound up today. I got a lot on my mind. Excuse me for forgetting about my audience. I should be slapped for that. Okay, bang, there you go. This is about us. It's not about me. It's about us. It's about us working this political process, understanding how it works together, and then exerting our human will so that our outcomes politically reflect more of what we, the people, are seeking, which is well-being. I believe we're looking for well-being. This, this podcast today is going to have a, an interlude in it, which is going to reveal the political process. I'm going to be uh, responding today at great length about this debt ceiling bill that has now passed into law. And uh, there's an info war about this bill, an info war. What does it really do? And, you know, I'm looking at what people are saying and, well, there's a gap between what it does and how it's being sold around the campfire. So I want to use the bill itself and the analysis of the bill to bring forth and share with you what's really going on here, Um, not by hurling, you know, insults and allegations, but, you know, actually breaking it down. And I got a call. It was very interesting. I got a call from a very senior member of the uh, Republican Party, and they asked me what I thought about the bill. And I, I told them, because it's a 99-page bill, and I, I, I worked through it, and I read the um, Congressional Budget Office uh, you know, review of the bill, the letter that they sent uh, reviewing the bill and its impacts, and I discussed it, and, and this very senior person said, what are you going to do about it? I said, well, I'm going to spend an hour and a half on it Monday on the Professor Penn Podcast. Maybe you should tune in. And this was great because this is unprecedented. This leader said, why don't you clip out 15 minutes and send it to me, and I'll see that tens of thousands of Republican activists have a chance to look at your response. I was floored by this, but this is political progress. What this is saying is as dark and as bleak as this looks we're making progress politics is a numbers game and uh, it's it's war without bullets you know von clausewitz who was a german military uh, historian said that war was uh, you know politics by other means politics is war by other means these two things are related politics and war and if we want to avoid war it really requires us to get involved and make our human agency, our human will, part of the process. Um, I was at a a festival this weekend. That was a whole other interesting thing. There was a U.S. senator there and a U.S. congressman, and it was an ethnic festival, and I'm going to not cover it in great detail today, but there was one thing I thought was very interesting. I hadn't seen this for many years. There was a... um, A tug-of-war, tug-of-war contest. And uh, there was a lot of younger kids doing this. They were smaller. And a a relative giant showed up. He was three times the size of the other people pulling on this rope. And uh, he got on his side, and he took the anchor position. And he made some progress at the beginning. But at the end, the people on the other side of the equation dug down with their wills. They were outmatched by physical reality, but they dug down. They would not be defeated. And this big giant of a man, who was three times the size of most of the participants, ended up eating grass and dirt because they pushed him into the ground and dragged him across the line face first. That's politics. That's what politics is. We're in a point of time where, you know, we're coming off of decades of being told, we need to get along we need not to fight with each other. If we just agreed with each other, we'd win more. And that is great if we actually agreed with each other. But the reality is we deeply disagree. One side of the football disagrees deeply with the other side, and on the side that is allegedly on the same team, they hate each other. And this, this argument has been suppressed and massaged for years and it's the uh control of what we would call the uni party in the in the two political uh organizations which has been able to suppress dialogue and discourse because you know what what does it ge- what does it value to them they don't want it to change as we saw in this bill so we have a growing number of americans that are American citizens, and uh, they can see what's going on. For them, it's gotten very clear. They, they know what the what the deal is here. They get it. And it's growing. It's growing in these votes, as we're going to talk about today. As a matter of fact, as you're going to see, before the, um, before the uh, vote in the House, they were thinking about uh, maybe 30 Republicans we're going to oppose this vote for this debt ceiling raise, actually ended up being 71. 71. 71. 71 representatives of we the people stood up with courage and bravery and said, no, we're not going to vote for this. We don't care about all the status quo, getting along with each other. We're not going to be moved by our Our governments or our leadership say we need to do this for X, Y, and Z reasons. No, this is bad for the well-being of the American people. We're going to vote against it. We're up to 71. I remember when they had the uh, McCarthy uh, speaker drama, when they were trying to get him elected as the Speaker of the House. There was like 20 hardcore resistors. Now we're up to 71. One more election cycle. Hey, all you silk stocking Republicans out there, Join the winning team, because we're coming. And let's just talk about these people for a second, because I keep saying this. Some of them are just not awake yet. Some of them are malevolent, and for some, the path to hell is paved with good intentions. Tanner, let's just play this little piece from The Matrix. And before you start it, this isn't the piece I promised you last time we got together. It's a different one i'm saving that piece i promise for the next podcast this talks about where we're at today with our fellow citizens because it's so prophetic and so accurate of a description please please tanner
2: the matrix is a system neil
3: that system is our enemy but when you're inside You look around, what do you see? Businessmen, teachers, lawyers, carpenters. The very minds of the people we are trying to save. But until we do, these people are still a part of that system and that makes them our enemy. You have to understand, most of these people are not ready to be unplugged. And many of them are so inert, so hopelessly dependent on the system, that they will fight to protect it. Are you listening to me, Neo? were you looking at the woman in the
2: red dress I was again
1: that's good thank you Tanner so isn't that an interesting insight from over 20 years ago some people are so hopelessly dependent on the system that they'll fight you Uh, they'll fight to maintain this system of slavery drugs and piracy They don't even see what's going on. And what we're trying to do in our politics is re-describe things and um, make some progress bringing forward to the American citizens what they're engaged in. And then guess what's going to happen? We're going to put continued pressure on our political leadership. And they've just never run into this before. The uh, uni-party leadership that we have in both parties, I'm going to talk about the Republican Party because I'm a Republican Party officer. They're just not used to people standing up and saying, hey, it's not your party. It's not personal. It's just business. Actually, I respect you as a person. I just don't agree with your politics. And you don't control this thing. We, the people, control it. And what this takes is courage and a willingness to do whatever it takes to bring about the kind of change we need to take care of the American people as a community. And it's all based on honesty. We can't go forward as a party and continue to tell lies to people. That's what today's podcast will really be about. We have to start to tell the truth. Now, people will look right at you and say you're wrong, and that's okay. I mean, we don't have to convince everybody. We're not trying to convince the people in the party. We want the argument out in the public so that we can talk to the American citizens. And I sent a letter to my party, and I invited all the senior people to come on the podcast and have a debate. Because I just think it's goofy to sit in a basement and talk to 10 other people. I mean, you know, I'm arguing with the insiders. I don't want to do that. That's what they want me to do. They want to tie me up in an inside-the-house argument that nobody hears about. You know, that because that limits the scope of what this thing could potentially influence, this argument. That's why we're doing the Professor Penn Podcast. That's why if you send this out to everybody you know, and you let people know that there is an argument in the party about human well-being, and about how we're going to go about achieving a better outcome for the American citizens. Let them know there's an argument. Let them know things are changing, your friends, your neighbors, your relatives, because they're going to get engaged, as I said in my letter. Enmity, turn it into engagement. Everybody likes a good prize fight, right? I'll get in the ring. If I get my butt kicked, I'm going to get up and learn from it. Let's get these arguments out in front of the American people so that the American people can make a decision about who's trying to tell the truth and who's trying to tell lies. Maybe the people that are trying to tell lies or are telling lies will stop if we the people demand to be treated as adults, demand honesty, demand integrity. It's because we say lie to me, like that opening piece by Brooke Benton. We want to be lied to. We don't want to learn the truth. And that's why it is the way it is. So when we change this thing, we change it ourselves by changing our own conduct, by changing how we work one to another with each other, and we don't back down. It's a great Tom Petty song. I'm going to play it for my own uplifting, but I'm going to use the Johnny Cash version because Johnny Cash, I mean, come on, this guy just didn't back down. Let's listen to Johnny sing this song.
2: Well, I won't back down No, I won't back down You can stand me up at the gates of hell But I won't back down Gonna stand my ground Won't be turned around And I'll keep this world from dragging me down Well, I know what's right I got just one life In a world that keeps on pushing me around But I stand my ground And I won't back down Hey, baby There ain't no easy way out Hey, I will stand my ground, and I won't back down. No, I won't back down.
1: I just got to love the look on Johnny's face. That would be called a pensive look. A man of depth and integrity, and it comes across in his singing. he knows what's right when he sings it. You feel it. He's standing his ground. I'm standing my ground. And for everybody in the party that wants to be inspired by just a tiny little bit of courage from Professor Penn, we're holding the line now, okay? And more and more people are showing up every day. And they're showing up with a kind of intensity that this country has never seen before. I'm talking about capable, motivated people that love their families. They love their country, and most importantly, they love God. They're starting to figure out what the game is here. We're all waking up. So uh, we're going to stand our ground. We are stood up at the gates of hell. That's exactly where we're at. And we're not going to back down. We're going to tell the truth. So we're going to roll into this little vignette now that I'm going to see distributed to tens of thousands of uh, party participants. And uh, it's a reaction clip to the uh, recent bill. And for those of you that are seeing me for the first time, my name is David Penn. This is the Professor Penn Podcast. We're a political action podcast. We're here to bring together people from all communities throughout the United States, but specifically starting here in Minnesota, to affect the kind of change that will guarantee the lives of our children and to bring about the kind of well-being for the American people that they really seek. With the belief that our leadership, uh, for whatever reason, has lost touch with its roots. And uh, unfortunately, uh, sometimes there's a little bit of a disconnect between we, the people, and the people that we elect to represent us. Tanner, could you play this piece here um, from Representative Emmer on ABC?
4: Republican Congressman Tom Emmer for more on this, Jay.
5: Yeah, Diane, this is the man in charge of counting all of those votes, Majority Whip, Tom Emmer. And I want to ask you, Congressman, as you look at the playing field, as we go into that vote tonight, will this bill pass? Oh, yeah. No question. No question. With a majority of Republicans supporting it?
6: We actually whipped for 218 Republicans, as you and I were talking before we came on air. Uh, Our goal is to make sure that every Republican votes for this bill.
5: And what are you telling those 30-plus Republicans who have said, under no circumstances, will they vote for this? Listen,
6: this happens with every piece of legislation that comes through the House. Some people will get out early, voicing their displeasure based on things they've heard, based on things that they've been told. Once they start to read the uh, legislation, once we start to have conversations, in this case, you're talking about a $2.1 trillion cut This is the single largest deficit reduction bill in the history of this country. Uh, I think every Republican should be voting for it.
5: But if you lose those 30, you're relying on Democratic votes to try to pass this, right? And are you talking to Democrats to make sure there are enough votes on that side of the aisle? We, We are counting on Republicans to pass this bill. But if they're not there... How can you be so confident that the Democrats will back you up if you're not having conversations with them? Listen, I don't count Democrats.
6: We, we are here to make sure that Republicans understand what is involved and that they're all comfortable with the bill and they can vote for it. Our goal is to have 218 Republicans or more.
5: I know you were just in with Speaker McCarthy earlier this morning. Last night you were whipping votes, you were whipping votes into this morning. How can you describe his attitude to all of this? What's his level of confidence like?
6: The speaker is in a great mood. The speaker is, uh, I I think I used the words with you earlier, that he's on fire today. He's uh, calling members. He's having members in. He's
5: answering questions. Uh, It's all very positive. And going forward, if this passes tonight, and I know we're reading tea leaves here, but how do you think that that impacts Kevin McCarthy with the overall conference? Listen, uh, when we pass this tonight,
6: uh, we are going to continue to be successful by moving into the appropriations process, which is the next step. Republicans ran. their campaigns last fall to win, but once you win, you have to govern. And Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans are the only ones who have literally been governing since the beginning of the year. Uh, The White House wouldn't even get involved in these discussions until after we passed a uh, debt ceiling bill that would protect us from a default. And then it even took them three weeks to get off their rear end and actually have substantive conversations. And the Senate, my goodness, Chuck Schumer and the Senate have been asleep at the wheel and gone. I think the most significant thing they've done in the first five months is name March Maple Syrup Month. I mean, uh, Kevin McCarthy has been leading this conference, Republicans have been governing, and you're going to see more of that after this vote tonight?
5: Of that vote of 30 possible no votes, though, there are some who say that they don't trust the Speaker after this. Are you worried about them going full?
6: Again, I think there's a lot of emotion that's built up over the last five months. Uh, Sometimes it gets directed at, for instance, a uh, a speaker as opposed to where it's actually coming from. In this case, I think our members are very frustrated with an administration that has been wholly incompetent, has caused double-digit inflation, has caused all kinds of problems, and we're going to risk a default, and here we are. On a week where we're supposed to be at home working our districts, we are back in Washington, D.C. to try and clean up a mess that Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer have created. And I think that's where some of the emotion comes. Uh, Republicans are going to be good. We're going to get this passed tonight.
5: That's where i got to leave it. Thank you, Congressman. I appreciate your time. Diane, that was Congressman Tom Emmer, confident that this bill will pass.
1: I want to be very uh, generous, as generous as I can be, Because, uh, you know, governing is very complex. And what I want to demand of my representative, uh, not my personal representative, but I'm in Minnesota. Uh, I'm in uh, CD3. Uh, Representative Amher is from CD6. And uh, he's a, a big leader of the Minnesota Republican Party, and he has a lot of support here, which means a lot of people like to be lied to. And I want to change that. I want the American people, if we're going to grow the engagement of the Republican Party, in the United States of America, in Minnesota. We're gonna to have to start to be honest. And this was a, um, a very political uh, piece, and we're gonna play more of, of the representative's uh, uh, explanation of this bill. But he was making a big deal about it was gonna pass, and that he's whipping for 218 Republican votes. That's great, super. Got 149. They were alluding to the fact that there would be 30 resistors. There were 71 Republicans. 71 Republicans, 71 representatives. These are the people closest to the American citizens, the people we meet, the people we see at the local um, festivals, the people that come and talk to us at the VFW Hall, the guy that we can or the gal that we can call up and talk to their staffs. 71 of these people, 71, voted against this bill. Why was that? Let's delve into that and understand it. Let's understand that this was a bill passed in a Republican House. It passed because of 165 Democrat votes. Only 149 Republicans supported this bill. This bill passed because of Democrat support. What does that mean? Well, on the one hand, because we talk a lot about uh, uh, polarity on the Professor Penn podcast, on the one hand... We have bipartisanship, and that is often touted as the goal of American governance. And from time to time, all the time, it is. But we also have a uni party where it doesn't matter if it's the Republican Party or the Democrat Party that is proposing legislation. The outcome is the same, and that's what this bill was all about. That's what we're delving into today. Uh, Behind me, uh, you can see a a link to the debt ceiling bill itself. If you click this link, it's going to take you right to the bill. And I urge you to try to read it. It's 99 pages. What you're going to find out is it's not readable. Now, for all of you that would like to get into the game of politics, and I urge you to, and you want to start to be able to read these bills without being an attorney or a multi-decade legislative uh, attorney, because this is very dense stuff, you start by reading federalregister.gov. You go every day to the federalregister.gov where our government publishes every day everything that was important yesterday, except for top secret. You don't get the top secret in there, obviously, but everything that can be published for public record goes into the federalregister.gov. The Senate has a portal. The House has a portal. We need to read these bills. We need to know what's in them, and what we're going to find out is if you click this link you're not you're not going to understand this bill i'm going to tell you right now even if you're an attorney you're not going to understand this bill without doing a lot of research cuz it references legislation that goes back to 1974 it's building on an architecture of budget actions that goes back for decades so to really understand the bill you got to put some time into it and hey let's give it a whirl And it might piss you off as a Republican Party officer if you went in and you clicked this, or as an American citizen, and you realize the legislation cannot be understood by the American people. What kind of scam is that? But thank goodness our Congress in its wisdom, because it is wise from time to time, established something called the Congressional Budget Office, the CBO. And the CBO takes these links to these bills and distributes it amongst its attorneys. And they read the bill and they interpret it for, not for we the American people, but for the Congress. And we're gonna talk about the CBO's response to this legislation. But I wanna just before we go to the actual legislation itself, start talking about the truth. You know, when you're playing poker, you look for what's called a tell. Because when people are lying, they usually can't hold it inside themselves a real good poker player has what's called a poker face. They don't let you know when they're lying. They're very good at it. But in this particular bit, I think there's something about the 218 Republicans that are going to support this bill. You know, that was kind of a wishful thinking. Tanner, let's just play this little piece on this loop so we can see the tell.
5: But if you lose those 30... You're relying on Democratic votes to try to pass this, right? And are you talking to Democrats to make sure there are enough votes on that side of the aisle? We 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 are counting on Republicans to pass this bill. You're relying on Democratic votes to try to pass this, right? And are you talking to Democrats to make sure there are enough votes on that side of the aisle? We, We We are counting on Republicans to pass this
6: bill we we are counting on Republicans to pass this bill we, we 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 are counting on Republicans to pass this bill.
1: Thank you, Tanner. uh you know, part of being a politically activated and motivated person is reading the tells and that's kind of a tell. I've highlighted it. I've taken it out of context. but I think the representative knew that there wasn't two hundred and eighteen votes nowhere close to that. He was just. Painting a picture. And he, you know, that's okay. We're all telling stories. It's just when it doesn't come out the way you're fencing it, generally speaking, nobody ever holds anybody accountable. That's what we're gonna to start to do. We're gonna hold our elected officials accountable within these parties and bring about a higher level of honesty. Honesty attracts people, lies repels people. So, you know. He did say something in that interview. He said, I don't count the votes. He no, he doesn't. That's the honest part. There's a, a house minority whip. Her name is Katherine Clark. She's a Democratic Party superstar, and we all need to watch her because in the years to come, she'll be emerging from anonymity to great prominence. She's very good. And it seems to me, my feeling is I don't have any eight by ten glossies, but I think. When Representative Emmer guaranteed the bill was going to pass, he knew how it was going to pass. He just didn't count the votes himself. So uh, go look at the bill. Uh, you're going to get frustrated. Um, can't read it. And you notice in that bit, uh, Representative Emmer is touting the fact that uh, Representative McCarthy is is leading and the Republicans are governing and this goes back to my comment about um, tug-of-war. You know, they're going to govern a lot better when we tug on them a lot harder. How do we tug on them? Please tell us the truth, Representative. We want the truth. Now we're going to start talking about the truth, okay? This is very critical. Representative Ammer does a very good job of redirecting anger, which is at the which is aimed at the Republican Party leadership and redirecting it back at the Biden administration and talking about how incompetent they are and how they've created double digit inflation. That's his big, that's the hot button inflation. We've got to quit spending so much money. We've got to quit borrowing so much money. It's causing inflation. It's causing inflation. And, you know, Representative Emmer is happy to blame that on the Democrat. But really, that's not what happened here that's the problem so let's take a look at this uh, person this uh, this uh, next explanation that we got from the representative that was banging around inside the party the last few days a lot of people are
6: asking about the debt ceiling vote a lot of people are questioning whether it was a good deal or a bad deal or whether they should be happy upset Look. The debt ceiling deal, we all agreed we were not going to vote for a clean debt ceiling. I've never voted for a debt ceiling increase. We've got to get the spending in this country under control. Can you stop, please?
1: Representative Amherst said he's never voted for a debt ceiling increase. And I went back and looked at his votes, and he's telling the truth, and I appreciated that. And, you know, everything is a mixed bag. But when I look back at the votes, and I went back through many debt ceiling votes, many people in the Republican Party did vote to increase the debt ceiling. So... We got a very interesting uh, game going on here. Please continue.
6: The bill more than a month ago that literally is the wish list for Republicans. Uh, If we could get it, uh, it will really help this country. Unfortunately, right now we control one half of one third of the federal government. Uh, The first step is to make sure that we got the best deal we could. I can tell you there were a couple of people negotiating it. I can't say that they could have done better. I can't say we could have done better than they did. But what they gave us back was a bill that did this. According to the CBO, it's a $2.1 trillion cut, the single largest deficit reduction bill in the history of this country. It also has an end to the... the Stop it, Biden- please.
1: Okay, time to get down to a little truth-telling before we go back to the congressman. Uh, $2.1 trillion cut. Yes the potential for that exists in the bill it's there uh i think the actual cut that is certain is like 35 billion not 2 point something trillion and for those of you who don't know it because this is a little bit beyond human understanding you take 100 dollar bills and you stack them you stack them up 1 billion dollars gets up to like the top of the tallest building in the world like the top of the ids center you know if you're a minnesotan a trillion dollar bill stacked up goes up 653 miles it's twice as high as a space station so there's a big difference between a billion and a trillion so what he's saying is there's 2.1 trillion in cuts actually there's only about 30 billion in actual guaranteed cuts the 2.1 trillion is possible but predicated on future congressional action. They're not cuts. They're possible cuts. And those cuts will only happen if future Congresses, future future convening of our elected representatives vote to actually implement the suggested cuts. Now come on. Come on, if past performance is any predictor of future outcomes, very unlikely we're gonna get those cuts. It's possible, and as the, as the congressman is gonna say, elections have consequences. Let's continue.
6: Student loan repayment pause. Because as soon as the Supreme Court determines his illegal student loan cancellation as unconstitutional, we were all concerned that those people would then be under his pause and they wouldn't be repaying their loans. Under this bill, that's going to start in about 60 days, it'll be five billion dollars a month that will be coming in. We also clawed back billions of dollars of unobligated, unspent COVID funds. We got permitting reform that everyone in the oil and gas uh, industry will tell you is incredibly necessary. People who just build construction projects will tell you you could take a highway from taking seven years to construct down to one or two. That's Uh, and then we did get work requirements uh, when it came to certain welfare benefits like food stamps, SNAP benefits. Uh, Able-bodied, working-aged adults without dependents up to the age of 55 should go to work if they can. Uh, They should at least be trying to do that. Uh, This could have a dramatic impact on not just your workforce, but on people's self-esteem and their their ability to create a better life for themselves and their family. Lastly, it's a 99-page bill. You got 15 pages of precisions, including money that the CDC sends to the World Health Organization, which, by the way, goes to China. I, we got rid of this stuff. And, and look, I know my friends in the Freedom Caucus. Well, could you I, stop I, it, I've, please?
1: If you just want to think for a second the way he said China, was that a little bit reminiscent of Donald Trump, the way Tr- Donald Trump says China? Just a little bit of wizardliness here from Rep. Emmer. Please continue.
6: The way it's not all of them. I mean, uh, Jim Jordan voted with me, uh, he agreed with this. Marjorie Taylor Greene voted with me, Mark Greene from Tennessee voted with me, Thomas Massey voted with me, Warren Davidson voted with me, the list goes on and on because they recognized what the issue is. The issue is, this is the first step. We wanted more, we all wanted more, and that's my Freedom Caucus guys, my friend Chip Roy, he wanted a lot more. All right, well, we have one half of one third of the federal government. This is the first step. For the first time, we are cutting spending, not raising spending. Second, we got to go after the appropriations process hard. I haven't even told you that an idea that I've had for the last two Congresses that Thomas Massey joined me in actually is included in the deal. It says that if you don't pass 12 appropriations bills through the House, through the Senate, Across the president's desk before midnight on september 30th which by the way has not happened since 1994 then you will have a brief cr till the end of the year and if you still haven't gotten those bills done on january 1st of the following year you go a one percent cut across all of government that is huge uh, in order to get this thing under control so look at the end of the day we all wanted more but you first do this, then you go after the appropriations process hard, which we may now have an appropriations process because of the uh, Emmer Massey uh, uh, bill that's in this vote uh, this, uh, uh, we took yesterday. And then guess what? The news, just like Minnesota, we got to win in 24. Elections have consequences. You want to get that bill that we passed uh, back uh, a month ago? We got to have a president we got to have the senate we got to expand our majority in the house if we do that we will be able to fix this country so remember the uh, enemy is not within our our, our uh, group. the adversaries on the other side of the aisle we've got to stop the radical left from destroying this country so hopefully that's uh that answers your questions if you have any more for me you can always call me you can always text uh, i check our website give us a call in the office Happy that's to good talk enough to
1: thank you I want to be very um, careful about how I talk about this, because this is very complex, and it's not a simple, um, it's not a simple situation. A lot about what the, a, lot, a lot of things that the Congressman is talking about, I, I resonate with. It is a first step. They may have gotten the best deal that they can get. Uh, and you know, he was saying the enemy is uh, this radical left. And uh, no, they're, they're not the enemy. The enemy is the center. It's the business model that's running this country into the ground. And that's what I really want to object to and bring to your attention as a fellow activist and as a fellow American citizen. Uh, Number one, the $2.1 trillion, uh, behind me you're going to see there's a link to the Congressional Budget Office letter uh, that uh, reviews this bill. What is the Congressional Budget Office? The CBO was established under the Congressional Budget Act of 1974. The CBO provides objective, nonpartisan information to support the budget process and to help the Congress make effective budget and economic policy. The CBO aims for its analysis to be timely, rigorous, insightful, and clearly explained. Okay, so this office, the CBO was set up because these bills are so complex, the Congress people can't read them. In other words, if you are an insurance agent from, oh, I don't know, northern Minnesota, and by some quirk of fate, you found yourself elected to the U.S. Congress, how are you going to understand these bills? You're not. You're not going to understand them unless you're going to sit down and put a lot of your personal time into uh, steeping yourself in the legalese and the history of this legislation. So the Congress set up the CBO to give a summary. It's nonpartisan. And if you think about it, is it really nonpartisan? Who is in this CBO? Who appointed them? It's probably not nonpartisan. But one of the nice things about our government is there are people who try to fulfill their mission because they kind of function as priests. They are the people that are responsible for we the people and our representatives getting the actual facts. And you know you follow, look at this link. You can go look at this letter yourself that the CBO sent to Representative Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House. And you know they just say right in there: mandatory spending would on net decrease by ten billion, and revenues would on net decrease by two billion over the period of the bill, which is twenty twenty three to twenty thirty three and the agency's projections of budget deficits would be reduced by $1.5 trillion over that same period. And if it was actually to come down that way, interest would go down by close to $200 billion. So what Representative Emmer is saying has some truth in it. The, the problem is, it's not mandatory. It's not really a cut. It's an outline of what cuts might look like. And the CBO alludes to that. At your request, the budgetary, budgetary totals in this letter include information beyond that provided in the CBO's cost estimates, which typically are used for budget enforcement and are prepared under long-standing principles agreed to by the legislative and executive branches. For the total deficit effects, this letter includes effects on projections of discretionary spending and interest on the public debt measured relative to the CBO's baseline that ordinarily would not be part of a cost estimate. In other words, they cooked the books for us. They cooked the books. They just did. Read the letter for yourself. Don't take Professor Penn's word for it. Please go take a look at it yourself. This cut depends on future legislation. It's not a cut. It's not a cut. So we're selling something to the American people that's you know really not real. And what did they really do? I'll read it to you. Division D of H.R. 3746 would suspend the debt limit through January 1, 2025. On January 2nd, the debt limit will be raised by the amount of the obligations incurred up to that point. That's what really happened. Not talking about what might happen with cuts. What really happened is They've given the Biden administration an unlimited credit facility to run the debt up to any number they deem they want to. And, of course, what the Republicans are going to do is they're going to say, oh, the Biden administration ran the debt up. We didn't. But if inflation is what is the most important issue of the day, and we are, as American citizens, being devastated by the by the degradation of our currency, by the defilement of our currency, which is caused by the printing of money, by expanding the supply of money. And we're giving the government of the Biden administration, and we hate all these policies allegedly, and this inflation is terrible, but we've given them a blank check. That would be we, the Republican Party. We, the people, have said. We've spoken through our elected representatives if they want to spend $20 trillion in the next two years, there's nothing stopping them. They've got legislation that gives them an unlimited power to borrow more money. Okay, let's just be honest about it. Let's not talk about $2.1 trillion of possible cuts. Let's talk about unlimited power to borrow. That's what's happened. Two years, two years of unlimited borrowing, and that's just going to increase the inflation, increase the pressure on the American people. And I just, I'm also very sensitive to all the things that the congressman said. Yes, it's a first step. It might have been the best deal that this group of people can get. But if we, the people, continue to place more pressure on our elected representatives, if we demand fiscal responsibility, if we demand maintaining a republic, because what's going to happen if this currency fails, we're going to be a communist country. And, you know, it doesn't matter why they're agreeing to this on the Republican side. Some of them may say they're Republicans. They might actually be communists. I don't know. It doesn't matter to me if they're lying and they're malevolent or they're just incompetent. It doesn't matter. The outcome is the same. We have to step on the gas. We have to apply pressure on every representative to tell the truth. That's where we start. We don't know what's going on behind closed doors, but please, Representative Emmer, come out and tell us the truth. The best you could get is a possible $2 trillion in cuts based on future circumstances, and we're just going to have to deal with the government having an unlimited checkbook that we, the people, have now approved. That's my reaction. I'm very unhappy about it because I understand what it means. And I'm asking you to click these links. Go read this stuff for yourself. This is only going to change when we put the time into it. If we don't put the time, why would we call call ourselves political activists when we don't do politics? You know, the next chicken wing party or the next get together to raise a little bit of money is not politics. Politics is rebranding this party and developing a product that we can go out and sell to the American people. We have to be different than the supposed radical left. And what does the radical left want? An unlimited checkbook to break the system. And we just gave it to them. So this is the Professor Penn Podcast. If you've never seen me before, you're more than welcome to come follow me. I'm everywhere. We're ubiquitous. We're here to do one thing. Focus on politics that bring about enhanced human well-being. We want to get by the arguments that have dogged us since 1973. And we know that the first step to a healthier, more well country, is tell the truth. Tell the truth. So we're going to stay after these people, and we're going to force them with continuous feedback, and they might turn out to be just great. Let me just say one other thing you can check on before I sign off. You know, there's many fact-checking organizations. Go to factcheck.org. It's a leftist organization. It takes a look at what's happening in Congress. I don't want to leave you before I send you to factcheck.org. I'm going to just read a couple of their highlights. This deal would suspend the debt limit, suspend the debt limit, until January 1, 2025, at which point the Treasury Department would reset the limit at whatever amount the government's spending would be then. That's not from me. That's from a leftist organization. They're quite happy about it. And they go on. The CBO assumes the proposed caps will be adhered to over 10 years. However, there are mandatory caps for only two years. Caps in the other years are non-binding and subject to the congressional appropriations process. The penn Wharton budget model estimated that the legislation would reduce federal spending, not including interest spending, by about $1.3 trillion over 10 years, but the reduction could be as little as $234 billion or as much as $1.8 trillion, depending on whether Congress enforces discretionary spending caps in the last eight years of that budget window. Okay. Thank you very much for listening. You can find me out there. We're going to keep working away at holding our elected leaders accountable. And with honesty, truth, justice, that's the American way. Thank you very much. Uh, Tanner, why don't we go out with this Johnny Lang piece, which just uh, kind of uh, underscores where I'm coming from today. summarizes the uh, theme of the day lie to me we're asking our leaders to lie to us we like our lies you know god forbid they told us the truth right i mean we just love bs here in this country and that's why we're in the situation we're in that's why i'm doing this podcast to 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 help contribute to the body of knowledge we need to start getting the truth out there and uh, the real issue is what did they do this for? Why? Why? First of all, it's a cover-up, right? There isn't $2.1 trillion of cuts. It's kind of an outline. Like, you know, I'd like to be a millionaire. You know, we all got hopes and dreams, right? I want to see a six-pack. How many guys out there want to have a six-pack when they look down and they see a beer belly? Hey, you know, when do you give that up? 40 years old? 60 years old? I'm going to give it up now. You know, at a certain point, we have to recognize that uh, hopes and dreams have to be on one side of the equation and the reality is on the other. So hopes and dreams. I respect the congressman's hopes and dreams. You know, he's got a deal for hopes and dreams. But what they really did was for $34 billion is they gave the government an unlimited credit limit. Unlimited. Unlimited. No limit. Now, this should piss you off, okay? It's, it's unlimited. Go read it for yourself. I'm not even going to read it again because, you know, you got to find it for yourself. And we're talking about inflation as being the number one problem, you know. Look, remember President uh, the President Biden, you know his corrupt and, and incompetent uh, administration that Representative Emmer was talking about. That, you know all the anger used to needs to be on them. Hey, you want to know something? We got to pull back hard. We got seventy-one people that voted against this. Let's get it up to two hundred people, or one hundred and fifty people. This is about numbers. Politics is numbers. Get involved. We're making progress. Tens of thousands of people are coming in every month. Come in. Get off the bench. Get in touch with us. There's something for everybody to do. Why do they do this? We don't know what happened behind closed doors. These people may just want to break the currency. I mean, bust the currency, right? Because when the currency busts, if you go in that federal register, you'll see that our Federal Reserve has a new digital currency ready to roll out. So if all of a sudden the the dollar goes to zero, and let me tell you how that works. Really, really slowly and then all at once, okay? It can go on forever like this, seemingly forever, and then bang, the next day, it costs you a million dollars for a loaf of bread. This can happen when you print this kind of money. They're playing a game called MMT, Modern Monetary Theory. Please go look it up. Modern Monetary Theory. Came out of our most elite and liberal institutions. And those that of you, you that have been watching me, we know that these elite liberal institutions are not a friend of the American people. They're playing their own game. MMT. It says that in the modern world, governments can borrow whatever they want to. Deficits don't matter. Debt doesn't matter. And they actually can, doesn't it sound great? I can borrow as much as I want to. It won't matter. And that's their game. They just don't put in the punchline. The collateral for this borrowing is your net worth. What they're saying is, is that you don't have to look at borrowing as a percentage of GDP. Look at it as a percentage of retained earnings of the American people. So let's say there's $100 trillion in net worth in this country. It's a little bit more, a little bit less. And that we're gonna be up at 35, 36 trillion at the end of 2024. Okay? Hey, we got a long way to go. We're only 30% indebted. These people intend, when I say these people, the uni party people that are supporting two areas of broad agreement military discretionary spending, which if you add the, everything up in the bill, it's about 1.5 trillion, and medical discretionary spending which is about 1.5 trillion. Funny how that comes out about the same. Everybody, you know, they like it balanced. All men are created equal, right? (laughs) They agree about this, okay? This is where the skim is. This is the skim room. Military appropriations and healthcare appropriations. Healthcare appropriations, military appropriations. That's where the skim's going on, and that's what the uniparty is all about. And if we're going to change this, we're going to have to tug really hard on these people because this was maybe a little, mm, a little a little, tug, but doesn't do anything. Actually, it makes the problem way worse. Why did they do this? I have a theory. It could be this MMT thing, but I have a, a darker theory. Hey, can you play this for me, this uh, Charles Jenkins piece, please?
3: Might as well put your hands You know what? I-
1: That's good, Tanner. Thanks. You know, uh, I was thinking when I first heard this song, I started crying. And I was laughing at myself, and I started crying again, right here in front of you. And uh, I was going to play Edwin Starr's War, the famous, you know, War, What Is It Good For? And then I came across this thing, you know, because I great thing about the podcast is I get to do a lot of research. I'd never heard of Charles, Charles Jenkins before. This is Charles Jenkins and the Fellowship Chicago, and to uh, all the people that uh, George, uh, Governor George Romney referred to as the Lily White Protestants, Lily White Protestantism. I want you to take a look, close look at that, and ask yourself: Does that scare you? Do you get a little bit of a feeling inside like, oh, that scares me, or I don't like that? Okay. This is This is the future of faith, family, God and country in the United States of America. I love this. I was thinking about um, some of the people uh, in my life that, you know, it's actually thinking about my mother, uh, you know, people that are really committed to uh, globalism and communism. And I just know that this group of elites that run, really they run our country because they run our institutions. They run our academic institutions. They think these people are idiots. They think they're just stupid. They think of them as not human, subhuman. And I don't mean because they're black. I mean because they believe in God and they have faith. They just think these people are stupid, that they missed it somehow. And they're really afraid of this kind of power. This is power. This is the power of telling the truth. And I'm not here trying to bang on a Bible. If you're watching the Professor Penn podcast, you know, I reference the Bible, but I'm not here to be a a preacher. I'm not a preacher. Uh, I'm here to talk about the different kinds of allegories and stories and histories that make up the soup I call my own thinking, because it makes my thinking and it makes your thinking. And maybe I'm a little bit more on one street corner and you're on another street corner, but we're all in the soup, okay? And when you start putting up the boil on faith and family and that this is a war, well, when I just play Edwin Star War, it really is really directly related to this bill. But I did this one because it brings forth so much more. The fact that we're at war, but there's actually a solution to the war. It's not just knuckle under and smile. No, we have a path out of this mess. Now, why would the Republican Party sign off on an unlimited debt increase. I wasn't there. I can only speculate. And I tell you when I'm making up stories, I like to tell you I'm making up stories. But I'm going to make one up. They must be expecting a contingency that's unplanned for. That could be a war. That could be a war. We're at war. We have sent on the books that we know about a little bit over $200 billion dollars to the Ukrainians since the battle began. And i got to tell you, it's not just us. There's 32 countries kicking in on this deal. Australia, Austria, Belgium, Bulgaria, Canada, Croatia, Czech Republic, Denmark, Estonia, Finland, France, Germany, Greece, Italy, Japan, Latvia, Lithuania, and Luxembourg, Netherlands, New Zealand, and Norway, Poland, Portugal, and South Korea, Romania, Slovakia, Slovenia, Spain, Sweden, and Turkey, and the United Kingdom and the United States. All these countries are kicking in on this military aid. So we've put in $200 billion. I don't know what it totals, but it's a big number. Big number. And did the Russians fold? No, they did not. The Russians did not fold. They did not fold. So now, President Biden does not have to go back to Congress. And And whose war is this? I mean, I've been trying to make the case over many podcasts this is not my war my ukrainian privileges are permanently suspended i'm not going back there it's a european war these wars in europe have been going on with russia since at least 1807 that's kind of modern history and we're fighting inside of russia and it has nothing to do with the united states of america as far as we the people now our academic elites The people that populate our most elite institutions that are in the Council on Foreign Relations and that are in the government that came out of the CFR and that were educated at Harvard and Yale and Princeton, got Oxford scholarships and, you know, all these different Rhodes scholarships. I mean, they, that have, you know, been infected by this European kind of thinking. And I think it is an infection. These people who actually control our government, okay? Now, this representative, Emmer, he kind of came from the grassroots. I don't like that. If Someone's listening that hear me use the word grassroots. I'm using it quite disparagingly. I don't like the word grassroots. We're American citizens. Emmer came out of a hockey background and went to a very uh, downrange law school here in Minnesota. Nothing anybody's going to brag about. No one's going to show up for a job and say, I went to so-and-so, because it's not going to get you any brownie points. Now, this Catherine Clark, on the other hand, that's the minority whip. Oh, she's educated at all the best schools, went to the best law school. She's a globalist, for sure. Maybe we can awake some of the uh, American citizenry and some of our elected officials just by showing up and saying, please don't lie to us. We're not going to accept the lies anymore. Tell us you cut this deal because you've been told we're at war that unlimited expenditures might be required. Don't cover it up with the BS story. Don't talk about presumed cuts that are going to require future Congresses to cooperate. Because, you know, as I said, if past performance is any indicator of future results, there's no cuts. And we know they're going to spend at least a trillion dollars extra because we got a baked-in trillion-dollar structural deficit so they're going to go over by at least $2 trillion minimum. That's if nothing extreme happens. And, boy, extreme things are happening. Extreme things are happening. Now, the Ukrainians have started their much vaunted and long-waited-for spring offensive. And there's new cross-border fighting in the Ukraine. There's been another cross-border raid into Russian territory from the Ukraine. That's the third such time the Ukrainians have attacked inside of Russia's borders. <coughs> Excuse me, please. I mean, I get, you know, when I get choked up about this, it's because whose map are we using? If we're using Russia's map, this entire thing is in their borders, okay? So we got a big gap on the street corners. But they're attacking their, our, mercenaries on payroll. That would be the Ukrainians. Because if we cut the money off, this war would be over instantaneously. There would be a settlement instantaneously. In fact, that's what the Chinese envoy, Li Hu, has says that in order to achieve peace, the Allies, that would be the United States, must stop sending weapons to the battlefield. Ukraine's allies should stop sending weapons to Kyiv and move towards negotiations to bring lasting peace, China's envoy for Eurasian affairs has said. Li appeal came as Washington and many European nations are ramping up supplies of missiles, tanks, and other weapons to Ukrainian forces that are trying to take back territory occupied by Russia. Quote, If we really want to stop the war, save lives, and achieve peace, we should stop sending weapons to the battlefield. Lee told reporters in Beijing, quote, the painful lessons of how the Ukraine crisis developed to its current state merit, deep, merit, deep reflection by all parties. That's what the Professor Penn podcast has been trying to bring forth. The history. How do we get here? Who is really the aggressor? Who is really at fault? It takes two to tangle, right? When there's a divorce, everybody says, oh, it takes two to tangle. Sure. No, that's not. That's that's another status quo cover story. Sometimes divorces happen because one partner sucks. In this case, one of the partners sucked. That'd be us. That'd be us, we the people. We incurred on Russia's borders with NATO. It scared them. They've been attacked continuously since since 1807. You know, get off my back in case I in case I attack. It's a great uh, rap. I think I'm going to play that one coming up. Get off my back in case I attack, and you won't like that. We don't like it, but we caused it. Lee said there are currently many difficulties in sitting down and engaging in talks to end the war. He added that those fighting the war are not without points of consensus. The two sides have not fully shut the door on peace talks, Lee insisted. What Lee is saying is something's holding back the two sides for making a deal, and that'd be we the people. Because we keep arming the Ukrainians and leading a coalition of 32 worldwide countries, that'd be the United Nations, right? Remember the United Nations? Dedicated to peace? Oh, not really. Seems to be dedicated to conquest and war. The United Nations, 32 of them, are pouring military material into the Ukraine. And, you know, we're just having a giant bloodletting. To what result? What's the result? Well when they attack inside of russia inside of the borders we call russia when i say we we the people what we're saying to the russian government is hey we're coming for you we're coming for you we're going to attack you and we're going to destroy you that's what and you know of course the ukrainians they're not doing this on their own <laughs> they're being told to do it we we the people are in a war with a nuclear superpower and our congress our Republican-controlled Congress has just given the Biden administration that has a proven recent track record of giving $200 billion of arms and leading an international coalition of countries funding this war, they just gave them an open credit line. In case some of these other 32 countries start to come to their senses and say, oh, this could cause a nuclear war, maybe we should back off on this a little bit. I don't think that's such a good idea. I don't wanna see my children killed. I don't wanna barbecue my own grandkids. You know, clarity, a moment of clarity. You know, like on a clear day you can see forever, a moment of clarity. Oh, what if what if some of these 32 coalition partners, the 32 United Nations start to break off and say, we don't wanna do this. This is crazy. Well, we gotta make up the gap. We're gonna lead the charge. We got an unlimited credit line for war with Russia. Oh, and China. So we're going to war, okay? Let's let's not say we know what the nature or the depth or the outcome of this war is going to be, but it's certainly an arms race. At the very least right now, we are in a terrible arms race with other superpowers. And at the same time, we have a huge gap inside of our own com- country between a a group that is globalist in its orientation, and a group that is more nationalist, more more, uh, I don't know, the natural way in its orientation. I don't want to, I don't want to get too philosophical or too religious on this, but the groups are really divided about who believes in God and who doesn't. That's the cleave line. If anybody wants to look it up, please do your own research. When somebody tells me what their policies are, and then they say, "Yeah, I believe in God," I said, "Well, that's a different God than I believe in." I'm not saying you don't have a God. It's just not the God I believe in. And let's remember that. People can claim to believe in God. We should ask them what God is that place, you know, because uh, we're not fighting a a war over here in the Ukraine that's uh, a divine, a righteous and divine war. We're fighting a war, of global conquest, uh, trying to suppress countries that are not knuckling under to the post World War II Democrat liberal order. They're just not down with it. We're having a, a, a fight now about what is the New World Order. Up till now, the New World Order has been the Democrat liberal order. We got a couple other players involved now. The Russians are playing, the Chinese are playing, the Middle Eastern countries are playing. Everybody's in on this jump ball about who, how is this thing going to get run going forward. And it's a war that is across many dimensions. Right now, the primary front of this war is not the Ukraine. It's a currency war. The primary front in this war is a battle of currency. Tanner, put up this picture, please, about uh, money. I just want to give a little context here. Take a look at this. A million dollars. Just, to, you know, how many how many of us have a million dollars? Do You got a million dollars in your checking account? Hey, hey, I salute you. Now, for all the rest of us. If you had a million dollars in $100 bills and you stacked them up, a million bucks goes 3.3 feet up. It's the height of a chair. There's your million bucks. Wow, that's a lot of money. And if you had a million in cash, that'd keep you going for a while, right? Now we got the concept of the billionaire. And you can see from the uh, relative height, $1 billion of $100 bills stacked it up. It's higher than the world's tallest building. It's about 0.63 miles high. That's high. How many of you can run a half a mile? Can you walk a half a mile? I urge you to do it. It's great for your well-being. Think of it as you're walking. You're walking by a billion dollars. If you walk a a half a mile, you just walked by a billion dollars. One billion. And that's a long way, and that's a lot of money. You and I couldn't spend a billion. It's probably not possible. We'd have to really go mad to spend a billion dollars. But a trillion dollars? Holy moly. 631 miles. $100 bills stacked back to back. Twice as high as the International Space Station. 631 miles. That's one trillion. We're going to be $35 trillion in debt by the end of the Biden administration oh, my goodness, I want you to think about what's going on here. (laughs) Wow. So, and that's if they don't have to take the unlimited route because kinetic war starts to break out. And even without the kinetic war, we're in an arms race, right? Primary arm that's being contended over is currency. It's called a currency war. It's called competitive devaluations, actually. Go back and look at what happened in the world in the lead up to World War II, was called competitive devaluations. Beggar thy neighbor was called beggar thy neighbor. And the neighbors that are getting beggared, (laughs) it's you and me, because the Republican Party has just agreed to expand the money supply. So the inflation is very high, very high. And now they say, oh, it's coming down. It's coming down. That's because demand is getting destroyed because people have no money because the inflation's been so high, and interest rates are so high. You know, we're caught in a death spiral here, right? It's a death spiral. Death spiral is we've got inflation, we've got a structural deficit, and we're at war. So let's keep spending money. And, of course, we, the American people, are going to get appealed to. We're at war. We need to come together about war. Isn't that a great way to cover up a huge fiscal disaster that our elites have given us over a 20-year period. I said since 2000 and Bush, I'm going to stick with that because at the end of Bill Clinton's administration, there wasn't very much debt. This has been since 2000 and Bush. Let's keep the music playing and let's keep borrowing money. Let's keep printing money. Let's keep the music playing. Let's keep borrowing money. Let's keep printing money. And let's fight wars all over the world because, you know, that first seal is about conquest. Conquest. The conquest of what? The Democrat New World Order. It's the conquest of a new religion, humanism. We're paying for it, we the people. And as part of that conquest process, there's continuous wars. That's liberalism. Because if anybody gets in the way of our liberal ideas, which is our religion here in this country, liberalism is a religion. It's humanism. We've talked about it. Go look it up, Julian Huxley. Humanism is a religion created specifically and only to supplant and replace Christianity. Please go look it up. It's not my words. I'm not even interpreting it. He wrote it down for us to read. So we have this war going on, and we have this inflation going on. And this inflation is not going to slow down when they keep borrowing money and printing money like this. So they're going to keep the interest rates high. And guess what's going to happen? Your small businesses are going to get destroyed. Because a small business, when they say small, that's like grassroots. It's very pejorative. But it's any business between $1 a year in income and a billion. It's called the middle market. Okay. Nobody can survive in the middle market with these kind of interest rates. And as businesses fail, the banks start to contract credit, which makes it even harder to stay in business. So this kind of policy that the pro-business Republican Party is putting in place Is actually going to destroy the small businesses that are asked to support the Republican Party. Do you get the scam here? I kind of left these kind of truths out of the part that I aimed at the Republican Party because I don't want to take them too hard and too fast. They'll freak out when they figure out the party that they're supporting them. The Republicans, most of them, the ones that are not in it for the faith, the family, and the God, the other ones that are in it for the low taxes and the low regulation, They're in it because they think that the Republican Party is helping them make money and protect their money. They haven't got their mind wrapped around the fact yet that the far left and the Republican Party, same party, they're taking all of our money. They're taking every dime you have. It's called inflation. If you don't rein in spending, inflation continues. If you don't rein inflation in, you have to have a high interest rate policy. That means your middle market's going to get destroyed. Your private businesses, your small businesses are going to be destroyed. Destroyed. Very few are going to survive this. It's called a depression. Our party, the party of fiscal responsibility, the party of conservatism, has now set up a very radical leftist modern monetary theory economic model, which allows the government to borrow in an unlimited fashion. And the collateral for that borrowing is your net worth. And they're not going to have a day where they're just going to say, oh, everything broke down. They're just going to keep inflating the currency until the debt is a smaller portion of the gross domestic product. And where are they going to get the money from? They're going to take it from you, and they're going to take it from me. They're going to take it from our children. They're going to take it from our grandchildren. And then guess what? All of us become even more dependent on the government, even more dependent. That's why we say, please lie to me. Don't tell me the truth. I don't want to hear the truth. I can't handle the truth. Oh well, please don't dis- disturb my pretty little world. And as long as you can go buy a loaf of bread for 8 bucks or whatever it is today, it's getting expensive. Artisan bread, it's getting very expensive. Bread. As long as, you know, as long as people can muddle on through, okay. But the muddling's going to come to an end here. And it's going to be like a frog getting boiled in a pot. This inflation's going to continue and more and more businesses are going to close and banks are going to continue to tighten credit. And we're going to look up, and guess what? We're going to be dependent on the government, we're going to be at war, and we're going to be unable to get ourselves out of the mess. That our elected leaders, we the people, our responsibility, it's us. So all we have to do, all we have to do is hold them accountable. If you want to have a world where your children live, You have to be involved in politics. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to tell you this. I know politics is a drag. It's a drag for me. It's a drag for me because most of the people in it really suck. If you come in and join me, it'll be more fun because there'll be more good people in there. What's a good person? An honest person. We don't have to agree with each other. Just don't stab me in the back. I'm going to tell you exactly what I believe, exactly what I'm doing why I'm doing it, what I'm hoping to achieve. I don't have to win. It's not about winning and losing. It's about asserting my will into the political process and you asserting your will into the political process such that we move the needle together. The thing is a giant equation, and the the politics that comes out of this is all of our collective wills. That's what democracy is or our democratic republic. We have a process by which your will can be felt in the political process. So please, not being involved. That's a a vote. I vote not to be involved. You're out of the game. But if you vote to go get involved, get involved in a party, Democrat or Republican. Make your will felt. Read the bills. Hold these elected leaders accountable. Demand their honesty. Wow. We're making tremendous progress. It's great change the composition and the uh, population of our elected leaders is is being altered by we the people. We've got to double it down. we got to move quick. We're in an election season. Let's come together and change things. And here's how we're going to do it. I want to thank you for joining me. I uh, look forward to seeing you soon again. And I'm going to repurpose uh, another song about jilted love into how we're going to deal with our politicians. You know, isn't it interesting, again, how jilted love, how getting our hearts broken works so well in terms of how our government is functioning. Let's go out with this uh, uh, piece, this famous one by Sting. I'll be watching you because that's what I'm going to be doing with Representative Emmer. I'm going to watch everything he says. I'm going to watch everything he writes. and I'm going to put it out for all of you to read and for all of you to review. Tanner, let's uh, end this podcast. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you, everyone. See you soon again. Thank you.